0: Hi, this is Janet Lansbury. Welcome to Unruffled. Today, I'm thrilled to have, again, this wonderful, wonderful parenting author and educator, Maggie Dent, who I was able to share with my listeners quite a few months ago, actually. And I'm still getting thank yous and people discovering this podcast where Maggie spoke about boys and the special sensitivities that they have and how we can be more understanding and sensitive around their experience and the way that they perceive the world. We can increase our connection and help them to feel whole and walk into the world with self-esteem and be successful people. Today, we're going to focus even more on boys' vulnerabilities and the issues that can arise when they don't have that support for being three-dimensional emotional beings. Also, what we can do to help foster that for them.
1: So here's Maggie. Hi. (laughs) Hi, Janet. And hello to everyone out there. And thank you. Your podcast definitely went far and wide and it started conversations that we need to have as we raise our boys today in a world that's changing. Our social conditioning needs to change in two directions. We need to let our girls to know they can be strong and feisty and it's okay. And we need to know that there are times when our boys need to be vulnerable and sad and that also needs to be okay. What do you
0: hear out there? I know you've done uh, your own research with young men. What are some of the concerns that you have? What are the issues that they're having?
1: Let's just mention again up front that boys is not all boys and it's not all girls ever, but we know it's a statistically significant number of our boys that I'll be talking about. Firstly, what we understand is there are some differences in the ways that females and males respond to distress or things that upset them, and particularly when our amygdala gets fired up. So we have a sense of threat. And often that comes as you beautifully explained to us so many times in those very early years and when there's unmet needs. And so many of those can be simple ones that we understand and hangry is a very real problem for boys. We know our little boys will experience hunger much more quickly and more intensely than girls. So sometimes when that happens and they might ask mum for something to eat and if you're a bit busy or distracted, you don't realise just how much that is triggering his nervous system right then so sometimes that's enough for them to get upset and want to kick because they're trying to tell you it's actually a little bit more urgent than they can handle and manage so that's a that's a really simple one about an unmet need that we need to recognize is a little bit different secondly i want to touch on what we've now found from neuroscience When females, particularly um, girls younger and also in um, puberty, because that's our really volatile windows and we're learning how to manage ourselves, when we get upset and our limbic brain fires up, the next center that fires up is our word center. So we quite often come out very quickly with words explaining how we're feeling or saying things to express our big, ugly feelings. So for boys and men, the tendency is to go for the limbic brain and then it goes down into the body. So can that make sense to those times that our boys will shove and hit and scream sometimes because that's actually energy coming out of the body out through the mouth. The ability for them to not only identify what they're feeling and then to articulate it is definitely more difficult for our boys and our men. We are still hearing people saying to boys, please don't cry. Now, don't cry because boys shouldn't cry. You need to toughen up. What happens is we shut down that capacity to feel comfortable to express vulnerable feelings, and that comes at a cost later. Can I share a quick story? Yeah. Okay, so there's a five-year-old little boy, and um, he has transitioned into his five-year-old setting because, of course, we've got different names around the world for that. Anyway, this little boy had been fine, and then all of a sudden he starts throwing toys at other children he started really physically pushing to hurt, which isn't a normal boy behavior. Pushing to connect is but not pushing to hurt. So his distressed mum is obviously frantic to figure out what was wrong. So when I spoke to her, I said, what has changed in your little boy's world that has now overloaded his nervous system so that he is triggered into this behavior because he's trying to tell you he is really struggling with some big ugly feelings. I said, What's changed? Firstly, she said, oh, his grandmother's been in hospital. And I said, yep. And is she home? And the mum said, yeah, no, she's home now. I said, I don't think that's big enough. There's something else because this is a big change in behaviour. So this is the big ugly feelings coming out through behaviour. And she said, oh, no, I've worked out what it is. His very favourite teacher, who he loved dearly, has gone on maternity leave. I said, that's it. So this little boy is grieving deeply every day that his safe person who looked after him when mummy wasn't there is no longer there he doesn't have the words to express that and so that was what the behavior was about so we worked at building that connection we also worked at him being able to send a card to his you know maternity leave teacher and within three days that little boy was back to being that happy little boy
0: wow was he able to express the, the grief and yep. tears? And Mum
1: validated to him. This is what happens when we lose things we love, particularly people. And it is very much like a death experience for a boy. He's five. He can't see her, so she might as well have died to him. Grief and death and loss is something I've worked in. You know, this is why I want you to get the guinea pig that dies. Because we want our children, particularly our boys, to know that it really hurts in your heart. And that ache is big and it actually is really helped by sometimes crying if that feels okay. Sometimes it can be stomping our feet. Sometimes it actually might be us wanting to do things like running because discharging bigger energy out of our body for boys often needs movement. So we let them know that being sad is great and we want we want our dads to cry around the death and loss of things like that. We want them to cry when the guinea pig dies we wanting to see this is a world where it's okay for us to shed those tears.
0: You're reminding me of the experiences that we had with our son around playing soccer. He started when he was four or five years old and he loved it. It was all his choice. Through the years, we would often be with parents who, as soon as the child fell or got hurt, you're okay, brush it off. I don't know if they say that in Australia. Yeah. yeah. Brush it off, you're fine, you're fine, get up, come on, go, go, go. With absolutely no patience at all for that child to have any emotion on the field. And if somebody tried to do that when our son fell or was injured, we would find a way to stop them, say please don't, or you know, we don't do that or something. Because we wanted him to be able to cry. The interesting thing that I believe is connected is that our son very rarely cried or complained. When he did, it was serious. I believe that was because he felt our acceptance. He felt the freedom to be himself. And that alone allowed him to stay more regulated in these situations because he had all that support. So it's it's kind of like what we're trying to teach is actually the opposite of what they're yeah. learning then. So if we're trying to teach, don't cry, don't cry, you're fine. We're actually teaching them, don't trust yourself, don't
1: trust your feelings, you shouldn't be comfortable mm. in your skin. It's interesting. Yeah. When we shut it down, exactly what you're saying, we're invalidating a normal human experience. In the early childhood setting sometimes, I see people who want to punish a boy who does what I call the, the sad, angry boy syndrome, So when mummy leaves, his heart is breaking at some point. So she's walking out the door and he's really sad. Because we've not given him permission to cry or to sit with that and express it, then he's likely to go and kick something because he needs to just express. And he also feels bad for and feeling then
0: bad. Like He feels even worse. If you feel like crying yep. and people are telling you you're not supposed to cry, that's the it. people that you look to, then it's not only am I sad, but I, I'm wrong and there's something wrong with me yes. and I'm not what I'm supposed to be. And, yeah, it just adds insult to injury. And It does, and I found
1: harder. as a counselor more of um, adolescent boys, there were times that, you know, with years of this, there's this well that's just inside that kind of blocks them up because remember girls love to talk about stuff that's made them feel bad it's not as easy for most boys and men but giving them a safe enough shoulder um, and that's the place that said you know um, I need to validate that's a really awful thing that happened to you that would have felt so bad and then just that capacity to be in that safe space without judgment the other way I used to stand behind them and rock them just gently now, the rocking taps into the vagus nerve. They would have been rocked as babies. No sound in the room. I'm holding them firmly against me. And very soon you hear this kind of, Ugh! as it comes up and they begin to sob. And literally, you don't have to do any counseling. They can sob for 20 minutes and there can be snot all over your shoulder. And what's happened afterwards is a, is a fundamental release of tears from their boyhood.
0: Really important. Um, I would like to move our discussion a little to a topic that I'm very concerned about. I read an article that I found fascinating about men and friendships, and how when they're little boys, that they're able to make these friendships and be vulnerable with their friends. But as they grow, society tells them they shouldn't show affection to friends, that that's not manly, and that's not okay. And men sometimes grow up to feel very alone mm. and not connected in that way that they could have been. What can we do to help <laughs> besides holding back on that impulse that we have to, to fix it and tell them they shouldn't feel what they feel and talk them out of it or
1: you know, wave it away? One of the key things that we need to keep in mind too is that little girls and little boys form friendships quite differently. Girls actually use their words to often tell each other they like each other and tell them they can't wait to see them and that I want you to be my best friend and they do all this kind of social glue that's quite verbal and they do holding and hugging and things you'll notice for boys it's not words it's proximity and time so the more time they spend with a little boy who is going to be their friend the more likely they'll bond with them quite deeply even though they haven't said much (laughs) What we notice is that that proximity time to today, we don't tend to do that as much with our busy lives, parents more working. We have play dates, but they're not long, lingering times like we used to in the past. So we are concerned that that means our little boys are not having that opportunity to develop some you know, core belonging and being able to read the cues that we, we really like each other. And this is another thing about the tears that sometimes it's that boys can get really upset with not having a friend. And what I found when I worked with some of these boys is I'd miss some of the social cues. Just miss the cues that if you want to play with someone, your face needs to have a smile on. It's got to be up and it's, you might be waving a hello and calling someone's name. So what can we do
0: with our little
1: boys? It sounds like
0: a lot of this is about giving them those opportunities to play together. It's really obvious, isn't it? (laughs) Just allowing them to be out playing with other
1: children and spending long periods of time. And that's Uh. what we have to re-look at. Prioritise that little tribe that you have around your children to make time for the barbecues and the catch-ups, particularly when the weather's good, where you actually really are going to go and spend some time together, not just for grown-ups to catch up, but for children. So when children play with multi-age children with the same adults who really care about them we tend to find that's where they develop these skills the best because they start to get that kind of net of safety around them and then the other one we're suggesting is if you have time and we're getting some of the schools in Australia to do this that when you collect your children you know boys can be very crabby at the end of the day because they've had to concentrate so hard and to listen and remember and they're just done there's nothing left. So what we want and schools are doing this, they're actually letting um, children play on the play equipment at school until, um, you know, 45 minutes after class finishes, two or three days a week, trying to make that the day that they pick up their children. So that again, we're just prioritizing slightly longer pockets of time. Some schools are ordering a coffee van. Is that just, that's just a great idea. I love that. And then the last one is, let's really look at our streets and our neighbourhoods because we can actually become agents for change. We can actually get the kids back out around our streets. There are pockets everywhere they can play. There'll be a parent within screaming distance. That's great. Multiple numbers of children are safe out in our neighbourhoods. So we need to look at how can we facilitate that. There is a program that started in England where we shut a street on Sundays and bring everyone out, you know, the scooters and the skateboards and bikes. And then what's happening is we're also getting the elderly coming out on the street, reconnecting with the children of the neighbourhood. This is what we need to do for all of our children so that they know they belong. They just need a lot more opportunities so they can develop the social and emotional competence to interact as humans. That sounds wonderful.
0: I remember you were saying earlier about finding ways to be outdoors together, walking to school, just finding ways that we can let children have opportunities to socialize and play with things that we we are doing anyway, just kind of re-envisioning them.
1: Because I think what we've done is we've created a lot of organized sport and organized opportunities that aren't child-led. We're now finding in um, some of the schools that started putting in you know, more nature play, what, what works best is opening up a patch of bush or woodland and just letting the kids do what they need. And that is what's creating long-term negotiated play with boys because they love a base. They love to be able to negotiate what's going on within it. So what we're finding, those things happen naturally. We have to really start working out how we can bring some of those things back. And I'm hoping there's an awful lot of parents nodding heads right now going, we can do this we can do this and finding a creek where we can hang out for an hour or something once or twice a week with a whole bunch of kids they will get wet if you've got boys they will be wet
0: yes it's really important and it uplifts everyone's experience so we can enjoy that too when we get out of some of our habits when we're forced to because we want to help our children I wanted to ask you because you've brought it up a couple of times in this talk, and I know that you share about it a lot and your other resources. But for my listeners, I would love to hear more about the rooster child <laughs> versus the lamb
1: the lamb, and especially in terms of emotional vulnerability, mm-hmm. beautiful, so essentially, it's the um temperament spectrum, and we don't know what we're going to get, do we? So what we tend to find is at one end is the extreme end. It's our alpha girls and boys. They are feisty, lots of energy, opinionated, argumentative. They want to escape. They'll take enormous risks, but they don't want to share. They want to share their stuff. They want to win at all costs. So they're at one end. And at the lamb end, we have our sensitive and gentle children who really care about mummy. They often take themselves off for a sleep. They can get upset quite easily about little things. They're often slow to warm socially so what we want for our children is to get them in the middle of that spectrum so that as children as they grow that our rooster feister kids can learn some empathy and to learn that they can impact other people with their behavior and choices and then we want our lambs to have some you know assertiveness and strength so essentially we don't want them stuck at either end because we have victims and then we have bullies and in that journey you'll tend to find that they do manage feelings very differently. So you'll tend to find that our rooster children will come out fighting and, and aggro, and whereas often lambs withdraw and take it away and take it into the bedroom and keep it hidden. So they don't always necessarily cry more easily. They just bury it. So again, it's giving permission for both ends of that spectrum to know that emotions are very normal and valid and it's, it's getting our kids in the middle Another thing that really influences that is what are you? So if your temperament was a rooster, you can get really frustrated with lambs because they don't have a much, you know, get up and go. And you want them to get up and go. You want them to speak to people and you can find that frustrating. And at the other end, our lamb parents can find roosters really frightening and and a bit power-driven. So we need to remind you again, you are the parent. With our roosters, it doesn't matter, you know, that they're four and they're really giving you a hard time. You still need to have the swagger to be the parent that is the leader of the family. You can do it gently, but, gee, there will be times that you will just lock yourself in the bathroom, (laughs) wonder why you ever had children because it it can be really hard work.
0: Yes, I can definitely relate (laughs) to that one. (laughs) My oldest daughter is quite the alpha, and it really brought out a whole side Mm. of me that – realized I could be a leader and it's actually given me so much confidence in my life that I never would have had and that's why I love helping parents with the journey of learning how to be a leader and set limits and have boundaries and feel good about yourself and that you deserve to say no to things and do what you want to do.
1: It's interesting though because people often judge you if you have the rooster child who's, you know, challenging you publicly or arguing with you publicly that you are some sort of poor parent. And I laugh every now and then you'll hear somebody say, oh, look, I was like that. And then I had my own.
0: And what you were saying about parents with the opposite type of child, I actually work with a lot of parents who it turns out they are similar to their child. And that tends to trigger them because they were not accepted for those Strong uh, traits, all gentle just, ones. Right, you're too shy, or you're too mean, or you're too, you know you're too much a bossy. bully.
1: Bossy is a good one. They've right, come out you're with too that bossy. I got told
0: that a lot, and <laughs> and they were shamed for that, and yep. therefore when they see that in their child, it just taps into all of mm-hmm. their own feelings about themselves, and so to be aware of that and then learn to kind of separate it out and say, okay, that was me, and I wasn't accepted for these things, but I can give that to my child. Mm. Getting to that point where we can see our stuff and the difference between our stuff and 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 it's interesting because every
1: now and then I'll have a person say, "Oh, Maggie, mine seems to be in the middle, as though that's a problem." I go, "Yeah, great, good, relax. That's where you want them to be in the middle."
0: And let your children's feelings be and trust them. There's always a reason and it's okay to be a sore loser and sad when you fall. Let them feel
1: it. Let them feel it and it will come out and it will go. It actually needs to come out. So rather than us stopping it in the first place, I've talked about this before that we can't talk to little boys in the heat of the moment. They just, it's just, they're flooded with cortisol. They can't hear have no idea what the heck's going on that we particularly as mummies need to give that a lot of calm down time before we want to have a conversation about what might have been the trigger behind the behavior that has created that because we're so quick to want to know what's going on sometimes it may be bath time a few hours later or a pillow chat even the next day is much better when we can say can you tell me what happened yeah. Some can do it straight away, but I'm thinking we all need a bit of space. I'm not good straight at the moment. I'm give me some space. Don't talk to
0: me yet. Right. Just being that safe mm. person that lets the feelings do their job, mm-hmm. lets the not, expression. nothing of- wrong with them.
1: Right. Humans are They're part healing. Of being human. And I think we're starting to recognize that. I think we were just a bit too over enthusiastic about positive feelings. And we've started to label the others as problematic. And I think we're starting to realize that um, feelings are feelings and they're valid. And as long as we're not hurting others or the world around them or themselves, then our job is to allow them to be. Right. It's the best thing
0: in the world is that they're coming out instead of staying in. That's what I tell parents. Mm-hmm. If these feelings aren't being expressed, they're being maybe repressed. And they There's... can
1: come out all at once at some point. <laughs> right. I tell you that's not good.
0: Right. So it's always the best thing a child could be doing when they're expressing mm-hmm. something. Well, thank you for being here. And again, your book, Mothering Our Boys, is the one that I was grateful to be able to turn so many parents on to the last time that we spoke. Mm-hmm. And that's definitely should be one on everyone's list. You're just an amazing woman. I don't know, you do so much out there in the world (laughs) and you're such a giver. And
1: I'm thrilled to have you here with me in the flesh, finally meeting you in person. It's so exciting. Again, I want to say the same is that when I found you, you made sense of what I had found. And it was like, oh gosh, it's not just me who's being able to bring information to our confused and overloaded parents to make more sense of the unique dance that parenting is that there's no perfect one that these moments are part of the learning and in the messiness and the chaos is actually where we all grow that you're not a bad parent or a lousy parent this is what parenting is it was never a perfect art form and I think in you know the insta world we've kind of made that really a bit difficult for some of us so again enjoy the chaos
0: (laughs) yes and you're bringing up such an important point too that Our being vulnerable with our children, dads, moms, all of us, is the most amazing modeling we can do if we want our children to be able to have the courage to have their own feelings. So taking those moments where we feel like we messed up or we did something we're not proud of, even if it's 10 years later or more, bringing that up, being vulnerable and
1: demonstrating repair. Repair is beautiful because it's that acknowledging that every single one of us has days that we don't travel as well. We have lousy days when we eat too much chocolate and we feel grumpy and I think we need to know that's also okay for our children who don't have a prefrontal lobe. So cut us all some slack that there are those days and our job then is to create a safe place for them to land so they can regroup themselves.
0: Wonderful. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you, beautiful lady. Thanks for listening. We can do this.